0: We have a very special guest. Uh, he's somebody that I have listened to for years, many of you as well. He's a part of our radio family and just a fantastic pastor. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, uh, Chino Valley, and he's been pastor there for 25 years. And so would you please welcome Pastor David Rosales. good to be with you. Let's all stand again for a minute, please. I want to pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here once again, Lord. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts through your word. And we ask that our concentration might be on what your spirit wants to do within us. May we put aside anything that would distract us from receiving from you. And we ask that we might, with meekness, receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. For those who are here right now going through tough times, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would be the one who brings comfort, that you would produce beauty for ashes, and that, Lord, in Jesus' name, you will do a new work, recreate within us a new life, and that we might live for you. And we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory now for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, I know many of you are already have already opened your Bibles to John chapter 6. We're going to be looking this evening at uh, verses 60 through 69. I want to share with you a little bit about a question that the Lord Jesus Christ asked. We'll find that question in verse uh, 67. And so we'll look at that in just a moment. I I know that Pancho was with you last week. He mentioned that to me. And uh, it's a blessing to be with you on this week. I'm not quite sure if you had me come because it's Cinco de Mayo or what, but here I am. <laughs> but let's begin reading together here at verse 60. I'll read to verse 69. We'll get into our study. I will be concentrating on verse 67. You'll see that in just a minute. though. Beginning at verse 60, reading to verse 69. John writes, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I want to concentrate on verse 67, but it's going to take a while to get there. I'm going to give you some background, a little information, develop, and I would usually do a verse-by-verse study, and I'm going to basically do that tonight. I, I should probably ask you for, for permission to speak to you as if you were my own fellowship, because uh, as I speak to my own fellowship, I, I don't know, you're clapping now. But anyway... Uh, But that is okay, isn't it? I mean, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord, aren't we? And the Lord gives to me uh, a great love uh, for the church in general. Hopefully you care for for your pastors and maybe even like me a little bit, I hope so. But the bottom line is this, is that when I come and share the word with my church family, I speak to them as somebody who loves them, and I will speak the same way to you. And uh, perhaps some might get offended tonight, and that's kind of normal in my church, you know, they get offended and, and walk out quite often. You know, I've, I've finally begun just hiring them on staff. That makes them stay, but uh, <laughs> and I'm going broke. But anyway, uh, but I do have kind of an upfront, you know, California style. And I know that that's a little different than some of you might be used to. And so you'll see that in just a moment. I'm going to ask you some hard questions because those questions need to be asked. And I think that they're necessary if you're going to follow the Lord. They're necessary if you're going to grow in the things of Jesus Christ. And and, and praise the Lord. You know, uh, I know that many of you are ready to hear those kinds of questions and to, to go with me in a journey today in the Word of God that I think will be profitable once we have arrived. But anyway, as we look at this particular passage here, Jesus is speaking to his listeners, and he's speaking concerning spiritual life. As a matter of fact, that's what he's offering them. And he's been sharing with them. And as he's been doing so, he has been making some very exclusive claims. Now, we know the setting. He's in a, in a synagogue, as it says in verse uh, 59. He's in a synagogue in the city of, of uh, Capernaum. And as he's speaking with them, he is giving to them, at this point, a challenge. You see, what he intends to do is he intends to separate genuine disciples from casual followers. You see, at this time, many have begun to show an interest in him, but they're not fully committed to him. And so as he's speaking, what he wants them to do is fully surrender their lives to him. He wants them to to recognize him as being the Lord over their lives. You see, God wants us to love him with our head. He wants us to love him with our heart. And he wants us to love him with our hands. We love him with our head as we pursue the intellectual knowledge that we receive in study of the word of God. We love him with our heart as we devote ourselves completely and consistently to him. And then again, we, we love him with our hands because we, we perform works that demonstrate that indeed we have been saved. And, and so he wants a full commitment. He, nowhere in Scripture ever says, I'd like you to be my part-time disciple. Nowhere does he ever say to us anywhere in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that what he has come is he's come to call the people who will follow him once a week. What he has done is he's come to say, I want to challenge you to pursue me as the only source of life. I have come to issue a challenge and and, and I am am challenging you, Jesus would say, to recognize me for who I am. I have come in order that you might have life, but in order for you to have life, you have to embrace me completely. I will not in any way, shape or form suffer any, any foreign God to usurp the authority that I have or the place or position that I should have in your life. I will not put up with that any more than any who, who are married in here today will say, well, you know, pastor, I, I have to differ to that I'd say, well, really, you're married. Yes. So when you got married and you made your vows to your husband or your wife, you said to them, I will remain faithful to you. Uh, but you need to uh, re- recognize that that I will be faithful to you once a week. You know, every other day I can do whatever I want, but I promise you at least an hour once a week that I will be faithful to you. I mean, how many of us would actually enter into a marriage covenant like that? Listen, it's all or nothing. Either you love me with everything exclusively for the rest of your life, or we ought not to get married. What's the point of it? It's got to be an all or nothing thing. If it's true that way in my marriage, it is true that way in my walk with God. He never called me to follow him part time or to agree with the scriptures that, that, I, that appeal to me and to disagree with the ones... That I don't like. He said it's an all or nothing proposition. And those words are hard. Those words are tough. And it caused his hearers a lot of consternation. Their reaction was that they were offended. They were offended and stumbled at his words and at his claims. Notice what he says in verse 47 of chapter 6. Now, notice how he says here, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Notice what he says in verse 53 and 54 of the same chapter. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has ever or eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Those are pretty strong words. They were offended at these sayings. Notice how they respond in verse 60. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is a hard saying. That word hard uh, means rough or intolerable. It speaks of a saying that is, is unacceptable, it's offensive. This is something difficult for us to, uh, to accept. The word saying in this context is a message. They're saying this message that you are bringing is rough, it's unacceptable, and it offends us. Who can digest such doctrine as this? Who can appreciate and receive this kind of message? That's how they're responding to Jesus as Jesus is bringing these words to them. Now notice verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, well, does this offend you? So Jesus is aware of their thoughts as well as their difficulties. And he knows exactly what's going on inside of them. You know, of course, you can't hide anything from the Lord. Hebrews 4.13 says, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You can't hide from the Lord. I have a son named David who is now 27 years old. But when he was a little boy, David would try to hide things from me. He would try to hide the fact that he was eating ice cream. And I would, I would catch him. He'd be behind the, the sofa there and he'd have vanilla ice cream all over his face. He'd be like, you know, it was, you know, a few years ago, he was 26. No, he would be, um, <laughs> you know, five years old. And, and he'd get up there and he'd open up the refrigerator and he'd get out the ice cream and then he'd start scooping it into his little mouth there. And then he'd have it all over his face. And I would walk in and, every, you know, one, every parent knows that when it's quiet in a room, something's bad. Something's going on. And two, you know, if you know who's in that room, you can be doubly sure something's bad. And I knew it was David. And so I would walk in and there's the ice cream on his face. And I'd say to him, Dave, did you eat ice cream? Now, isn't that a stupid question? Did you eat some ice cream? No, dad. You didn't eat any ice cream? No, dad. His face is full of ice cream. It's all, you know, the container's still open. The spoon is still there. No, I didn't eat any ice cream. You know, they think sometimes they can get away with it. But the fact is they can't. And we can't get away with anything. Do we think that the Lord doesn't notice what we're doing? Well, of course he knows all things, and of course he's aware of our difficulties and the things that we think. And that's what's taking place here in verse 61. He knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this and the things that he was saying. So he asked the question there, does this offend you? The word offend, have my words caused you to stumble? Has what I have been saying caused you trouble? Are you stumbled because I have said to you that I am the bread of life? He had just said that in verse 35. Are you offended because of that? So he goes on in verse 62. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Now, he's already referred to the fact that he had come down from heaven to earth. He had said that in verse 33 when he said the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So his point he's making here is, will not my ascension prove beyond a doubt that I really came down from heaven? And he continues in verse 63, and he says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are those words are spirit, and they are life. Now, all kingdom truth is divinely revealed. The Bible tells us, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So God reveals himself to man. Man, by searching, cannot find God out. So God reveals himself to us. And so the words that Jesus are bringing to us, those words are spirit, and those words produce a life in us. So a literal interpretation of the word of God is not going to yield spiritual insight. Remember with me how that Nicodemus, the man who had come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that he had come to Jesus by night. And so naturally we call him Nick by night. So he came to Jesus by night. And as Nicodemus came to him by night, he said, Master, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do the works that thou doest unless God is with him. And Jesus begins to engage this teacher of Israel, this premier intellectual and well-respected man, And makes it very clear that unless a man is born again, he cannot see, nor can he uh, enter into the kingdom of heaven. His immediate response is a wooden, literal interpretation. How can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born again? Jesus had to make it very clear that the word of God is spirit and the word of God is life. And so when God's word goes forth, God will, through the Holy Spirit, convict the hearer so that we will embrace what he has to say. And so Jesus Christ is here attempting to speak to these people in such a way that he can draw them to himself. And yet, he has drawn a line in the sand. And as he's drawn this line in the sand, what he wants them to know is that they can have life in him. But the problem is, is these fair-weather followers are resisting the Holy Spirit. You see, hard sayings have a tendency of eliminating lazy followers. And so when the Lord was speaking to them, these people, by, by not really being that interested, and you'll see that just in, in just a moment, by not being that interested in him as they begin to fade away, these people are revealing that they're not hungry for the bread of life. Remember how in Matthew 5, verse 6, how that Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a hunger and a thirst that we are to have that only God can fill. But he's saying to them, and notice in verse 64, he's saying to them that there are some of you who do not believe. And then we read, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Now, this is where I think we begin to start moving into some practical application, though I do want to take you to verse 67, and we will reach that in a moment. But I'm well aware of the fact There is a difference between a crowd and a church. A crowd and a church, two different things. Ezekiel speaks about that. If you'd like to turn your Bibles with me for just a moment to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, I want to illustrate this to you out of Scripture. Ezekiel 33, verses 30 through 32, for those who'd like to turn there. Somebody says, where's Ezekiel? He's in heaven, but the book is in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 33, verses 30 through 32, the Lord God speaking to the prophet says this. He says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do, they sit before you as my people. And they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. There is always going to be the difference between the hearers and those who hear and do. The Lord never called me to simply hear. When the Lord spoke to our hearts through his word, he said, hear and obey. That's what makes the difference between a crowd and a church. The church will hear the word of God and will say, your word I hear and I will obey. A crowd will hear the word and say, boy, I like the way that was said. A crowd will say, oh, yeah, that that needed to be said at that moment a member of a crowd will say, man, I wish my wife or my mom or my dad or my brother were here because they really need to hear what's being said right now. You see, a crowd has a tendency of hearing for other people. But the church has a tendency of hearing for themselves. And so when you go to church and you hear a Bible study, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening so that if you find anything in me, if there be any wicked way in me, then, Lord, I want that removed so that I can walk in the power of your Holy Spirit. I don't want to be a forgetful hearer. I want to be a doer of the word. Now, why would I want to be a doer of the word? Because Jesus said that if I do his word, if I obey his command, he said, my father and I will love you and we will come and make our abode with you. And Jesus said, and I will manifest myself to you. Now, me, I want to have a relationship with God. That's found in John 14, 21, by the way, for those who take notes. I want to have Jesus manifest himself to me. How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? By listening to somebody else talk about how I should be or by being what they are saying, the word of God says, I ought to be in order that I might experience God. I want to know God. How am I going to know God if I disobey God? And so the way to have a relationship with God, which helps me to be a member of the church, is to be a person who hears and actually does. Now, that doesn't mean that I can do it perfectly. As a matter of fact, the day that I finally say, all right, I've arrived, he will take me home that moment. I don't think that that's going to happen on this side of heaven, do you? I don't believe that we're ever going to arrive. But just because we we aren't going to arrive this side of heaven doesn't mean that we ought not to live as if we are going to. I want to see the face of the Lord. I want to be pleasing to Him. I want a relationship with God, and I have that. But I want it to be a a, a relationship that actually is affecting the way that I live. So that people will know I'm a believer, and I don't even have to say it. They can know because there's enough evidence in my life that I worship God that they might approach me, and they might say, Listen, I've noticed there's something about you. What is it? What is it that has made you different? Then you say, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I know. But really, what is it? well what it is, is is it's just I know that I'm, that I'm that I'm a sinner in need of God's grace and, and, and what I've gotten into the habit of doing is every morning waking up saying God without you I'm not going to make it and oh how blessed I am that your mercies and compassions fail not and they're renewed every morning because Lord I need an extra dose today because I used it all up yesterday and so would you please manifest yourself in me and through me today here I am Lord like Isaiah send me use me glorify yourself in me and Father That's how I want to live so that I might bring glory to you. That's how it works. So turning on back to John chapter 6, this is what's taking place. Jesus is separating fair-weather listeners from the real thing. Now, it says there in verse uh, 64 that Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who didn't believe and who would betray him. You see, it's one thing to be a semi-interested part-time follower, but Jesus knew that they did not believe. And he also was well aware of the fact that Judas was not uh, embracing him either. And so, in verse 65, continuing, he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. So the Lord is the one who draws us by his Spirit. Now, what's the response to this message? Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Imagine for a moment as Jesus watches these people who had just a minute before been, they were hanging on every word. And now the synagogue begins to empty because a word that has been given was so convicting and so challenging that they said, this is a difficult saying. Who can understand it? And so as they begin to melt out, now I want to bring you to application. As they begin to return to their ordinary pursuits, they not only returned to the ordinary pursuits, but they now returned to their former way of thinking and living because Jesus is not very sensitive, secret uh, sensitive here, and his words repelled them, and off they went. And now Jesus is there with his boys. In verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, Do you also want to go away? Now, when Jesus was speaking to them, as he's watching them flow out of the synagogue, rejecting him, he looks at his apostles and asks the most important question that anybody can be asked. Do you also want to go away? Men, I want to ask you a question. I want to know if I've disappointed your expectations too. I would like to ask you the question, have I turned out differently than you thought I was supposed to be? Have I failed you somehow? Have I failed to meet your expectations for what you thought I was supposed to be? Listen, one of the things that I have become aware of is it's easy for us to think that God is a certain way and then we can be disappointed when we discover that he's not exactly how we thought he was. There's a line in uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia Uh, where it simply says, Aslan is not a tame lion. And the Lord is not going to be put in a box, even a a box of uh, my ideas of what he's to be like. And I've discovered that the Lord can do things sometimes that I would not have expected him to do. And there have been times in my life that I have been disappointed at what I have seen. I'm not the only person who loves the Lord who's gone through that. There are many in this room right now who could say the same thing. And when you look in the, uh, in the New Testament book of Matthew, you see the same thing taking place in chapter 11. Because in Matthew chapter 11, the Bible says this in verses 1 through 6, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John, the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ, began his ministry before Jesus did. He prepared the way for one who was to follow, recognized Jesus Christ as being the one who was sent when he baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit descend upon him and remain. Jesus' first recorded message is found in Matthew 4, and it's a message that sounded identical to John's. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now John is in prison for preaching against sin. And he had spoken against the sin that that had been occurring with Herod and his brother Philip's wife. And he said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And in doing so, he was arrested. Herodias could not put up with it. And he is now there getting ready to lose his head. Now, I'm going to lose my head and I just would like to make sure I'm losing it for the right person. So would you please go and ask, are you the coming one or should we look for another? And Jesus responds by speaking concerning his ministry, quoting different things out of Isaiah related to what Messiah would do. But the thing that I find most attractive in all of that is the fact that he said, Blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. Blessed is the one who doesn't have false expectations of what I'm supposed to do, but can allow me to be just who I am so that I can effectively work in their life. Because when you start saying God can't do that and God won't do that and I'm sure how could he do this? How is he going to be glorified through all of that? We're putting God in a box. God has a way of moving beyond the boxes that i built for him. Blessed is the one who's not offended because of that. I am thoroughly convinced that each disciple one day will be asked the same question that we're looking at in verse 67. Do you also want to go away? And I believe that question is asked to every genuine believer in Christ, that every person who follows after the Lord one day will be given options. Can you continue following me even though I may have disappointed you? Can you? Can you? Can you follow me when it's dark and you can't see a step in front of you? Can you follow me when you have had the most crushing news in your life And you don't know what to do. And you never thought I would allow this to happen to you. Can you follow me? Now, obviously, I get emotional over that because that's a question the Lord had laid on my heart many years ago. But it's not just to me alone. As a pastor of a fellowship, I have seen much of that take place over the years. And I've discovered that there are times that we can have a sense of disappointment because the Lord seems to be doing things differently than we thought he ought to be doing them. This question can come in various ways. I think of of a mother in our fellowship. She has a four-year-old little boy. He has a brain tumor. And she brought him to me and she said, Can you please pray for him? He's four years old and he just keeps falling down. And the Lord is speaking to her heart. Do you want to go away? Do you want to go away? We have parents in our fellowship who had, uh, each one had little girls, seven years old and eight years old, who within a year of each other both died of cancer. We have a mother, every time I preach, she's in our follow-up ministry, ministry, and I can see her third service. And and every time I preach, I see this mother. She had an eight-month-old baby who died of leukemia. He was the same age as my grandson, Josiah. And so she has walked up to me, and she says, you know, my little boy would be two years old now. You know, my little boy would be two and a half now. But he died. I have a woman in my fellowship who had that question asked of her, do you want to go away? When her six-year-old little boy was on an inner tube being towed around a lake by his aunt. He didn't want to get on that inner tube, but auntie said, it'll be fun. And she was pulling him on that inner tube, and he was so afraid. And she turned, and he went swinging off in an arc and hit a boat and died instantly at the age of six. And you hear the voice of the Lord saying, do you want to go away? I've heard it so many times. I have a beautiful young mama in my church whose little girl was standing behind the car and the uncle didn't notice that when he drove her two-year-old baby, drove over her and killed her right there. And the question rang in her heart, do you also want to go away? I say these things to you not to be morbid, but I say these things to you to help you put into perspective the things you deal with. Because in this congregation, there is a lot of pain. There are a lot of hurts that people bring to church every time you arrive. Things that you suffer with. Things that you go through. Deep questions that you have that, that, that you have to find answers for. And in various ways, the question can be asked, Do you want to go away? Everywhere we turn, there are people with incredible pain who suffer quietly. And many don't realize that. And they might turn a silent ear to that person because they're caught up in their own world. I, I think of the crowd uh, there, when Bartimaeus was speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10, it says in verses 46 through 49, they, they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a, a great multitude, uh, a blind and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood Still and commanded him to be called and they called the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling to you. But the crowd was oblivious to a blind man because they were caught up with what they were doing. They didn't know just as a blind man crying out, have mercy on me. That can happen in churches just like this. Where we come in with our own ideas, our own agendas, our own thoughts, our own needs, whatever it is that we're dealing with. And we forget that, that this, this church, a, a church, is, is, is a hospital. It's a, it's a place for the broken people. It's a place where they receive healing from Jesus Christ. Because I, as a pastor, know that there's no way I can heal somebody, but I know the one who does, and that's the Lord. You see, in, in, in our fellowship, I wanted to keep that before our people. So in our sanctuary, right above the dove that we have, that is, is located directly behind me in our sanctuary, I have the words, we would see Jesus. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? We would see Jesus. I don't want people coming to see David Rosales. I don't want people coming to see my ministry. I don't want people coming to hear about my wife. I don't want them to hear about my kids to the exclusion of the reason we gather together. And the reason we gather together is for who? It's for Jesus. It's for Jesus Christ. He's the one who heals you. He's the one who puts things together He's the one that that will ask you in that silent moment of your broken life, do you want to go away? And we have people, we have people in pews today who are asking questions and, and wondering, what am I to do? And we become disappointed because God doesn't seem to act on our behalf quickly enough or he doesn't reveal to us his plan. And we wonder what is going to happen. Uh, all of you are familiar with the song by Casting Crowns. It's, it's a song that has spoken to my heart. Let me read to you the words to it. It's called Praise You in This Storm. And, and, and it's so real. I just, it just spoke to my heart. Uh, they, they sing, I was sure by now that you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in, saved the day. But once again, I say, amen, it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain. I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. I'll praise you in this storm. I will lift my hands. For you are who you are, no matter where I am. Every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. I remember when I stumbled in the wind. You heard my cry. You raised me up again. My strength is almost gone. How can I carry on if I can't find you? As the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain. I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. I lift my eyes into the hills Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I have learned that, have you? I have learned that. That the storm is very loud, but God will whisper. And I have asked the Lord, help me to hear you when you whisper. And Lord, the only way that I can is when I am still and I know that you are God. When I am still, You see, the various experiences that we go through will strengthen us. They strengthen our faith and our trust in the Lord. It's what causes us to become acquainted with the ways of God and to be people who actually know Him because we know that tribulations produce perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And we know that hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is poured out in our spirit. We know that. We know that the Lord works through all of these things. But I've discovered something. I've discovered that God will form us into the image of Jesus as we are remembering that he is a wounded healer. And even as you have cried out and you have said, Lord, make me like you, remember that he was broken for you. I've discovered that in the hand of God, the most precious vessel is the broken one. It's the one that allows the fragrance of God's goodness to pour out and affect other people's lives. And so rather than crying out against the things that so many times seem to oppress and oppose us, we begin to understand that it's God who's working through these things and he's going to have his will as he does so. I remember hearing of a... An older preacher who was on his way somewhere, he and his wife, and, and uh, it was Sunday, and he wasn't at his journey's end yet, but he was able to stop in a small town, and he went into this particular place where there was a uh, message that was being preached, and as they left, the wife said to him, that was a, a great message. And And the pastor said, no, that's not a great message. It was a good message. It wasn't a great one. She looks at her husband and says, what do you mean? I think it was a great message. He says, no, that was a good message. It's not a great message. He says, why? He says, because he's young and he has yet to suffer. He hasn't suffered yet. Many years later, went to the same church. Man gave the message. Same man growing older. then the preacher turned to his wife and he said, now that is a great message because the man had encountered suffering and trials in the in-between time of the first time he heard him and the next time. I've discovered that the Lord will break us, reshape us, and then glorify himself through us. And there are times that he will say, do you want to go away? And what was Peter's response? I want you to see it. In verse 68, Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. No, Lord, I've left it all behind just to follow you because I believe your word is true. I believe you are the bread of life. I believe by taking of your blood and eating of your flesh, I have life within me. I left it all behind in order that I might gain all that you wanted to give me. Why would I? I not pursue you. Not only was he speaking for himself, by the way, but he was speaking for others. Because when he said in verse 69, we have come to believe, that's because our faith is lived out in community. We together have come to believe that Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life. What is your storm? What are you going through tonight? Whatever it is, I've come to to maybe shed a few tears. Hopefully I won't do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. But to shed a few tears with you and to say to you, listen, Jesus Christ is alive and he is there for you. I was a 20-year-old man once, a long time ago, back in 1970. And I walked into a small church called Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. It could have been called any other name because the name didn't really matter. What I found there was the presence of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you guys to allow the presence of Christ to remain here. And through your brokenness, that his excellence might be seen. That you're a testimony of the reality of God's goodness and the truth of his word. Our Father, we ask that you would work today within all of us. And that you would continue to lead us, Lord, And the word that you give to us, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with us, that we might understand that even tonight. May your Holy Spirit work amongst us in such a way that you, Lord, will bring healing to us, give us direction, strengthen us, give us hope, that we might hear your voice and pursue you wherever you would lead us to go. We give you thanks. And we give you glory for these things now.